This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution. That will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, now up to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. I am your host, Brett Boone, and today on the program, I'm joined by a 15-year MLB veteran, the three-time World Series champion, and Kurt, he's gotten into the restaurant business. I, I don't know if I'm saying it right. Coibito Pokey. You got I, it. I, I'll let him tell you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Todd Stottlemyre to the program. Todd, thanks for coming on. Brett, how are you, man? It's been, it's been a long time, and, and it's a lot more fun for me doing this podcast with you than it was pitching against you. I'll tell you, I, I was I was going over the night. You know, last night I was going over what we're going to talk about today, and I thought, uh, I was talking to my my executive producer who who works with me behind the scenes, and I said, "Yeah, Todd, he, when I was a kid, man, '92, I said Stottlemyre was like this mean guy, and and he hated everybody." I thought. Years later, we we got put together by a, a mutual friend of ours, Mike Morgan. He goes, "Oh, Booney, he goes, you'd love Stottlemyre," and, <laughs> and uh, no, it was really interesting how we start and and our on our journeys through Major League Baseball mm-hmm. and and always respected the heck out of you. But I did when I was a kid, I was scared. Of you. I'm like that Stottlemyre. He's like a psycho. He's mean. Yeah, he's I, I looked at you as like yeah, yeah, like kind of like a David Cohn. I'm like, you no, know. no, I, something something about him. But uh, you know, it's funny is is you know in the sport, it's, it's it's almost like you go into character, right? And and you know, early in my career, what was crazy was. You know, I really struggled with my focus. And because I struggled with my focus, I got to a place um, in my career where um, the way that I would eliminate distractions is just not talk to anyone on game day. And and uh, so I stayed very, you know, kind of to myself. But then about an hour before game time, I would build up this hate. And this hate was against hitters because the competition is every time someone st- stood in a box, it became a one-on-one competition, right? And 
And and uh, so I, I would build this hate. So it was almost like I would go into character. It's so funny because when whatever club I was on, sometimes, you know, you make a trade and, and someone comes over and they're like, man, and they become my best friend on the team. And they're like, dude, yeah. I, like I hated you. Mm-hmm. Like you were like, <laughs> you know, and I say, yeah, I understand. I wasn't there to make friends. And, and uh, you know, obviously the game has changed, but that's not the topic of conversation today. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, for me as a starting pitcher, I didn't want to make friends. I didn't want to make conversation with any opposing player or especially someone that was, you know, could face me because I didn't want them to have an edge. I don't want I didn't want them to think I was a good guy. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was kind of like going into character. Anyways, there yeah, we go. I, no, but I think it's interesting. I, yeah, this wasn't the topic of today, but but I think it's a real cool topic that you bring it up because, as a hitter, I was the same way, and and we can't help it as as our journey goes on and on, and we go from young players to a few years in the big leagues. Now you're a veteran. You can't help but run into all these guys, like you said, from across the diamond. I can't stand that guy. Yeah. Oh, in the offseason, I did it. I did an appearance with him, and damn it, he's actually a pretty good dude. Know. You know, and, and and all of a sudden, you're ten years in, and most of the guys are pretty good guys. And you're right, yeah. though, there is an edge. I had, I, you know, I played on uh, four different teams. I was around some great pitchers, some really good guys, but. I didn't like being buddies with the pitchers because yeah. I knew one day whether I was traded, they were traded, we moved on via free agency or whatever, I was going to have to face them. And I didn't like you looking at me on the mound thinking <laughs> we're buddies. Yeah, yeah. A, sure. a perfect example for me was Dave Burba, one of my favorite teammates I ever had in my life. He was a golf partner with me in the offseason. We'd go to Pebble Beach together every year. And we played together in, in uh, Cincinnati for a short stint. But yeah. every time I'd face Burbs, and he's kind of, if you know Dave at all, he's, he's kind of a goofy guy. Yeah. And I'd get in the heat of the moment. It'd be a big situation in the game. Burbs is on the mound. And he'd be making faces at me on the mound. And I didn't like it because I'm like, no, I'm here to I'm here to knock the shit out of you, Burbs. Yeah. And, yeah. and you can't be playing that. Give me that Burbs charm yeah. right now because you're right. you're. You're and he probably did it for that reason. Yeah, you know, gamesmanship. You know, I, I, I uh, you know, early in my career playing against Ricky Henderson, you know, I couldn't stand Ricky Henderson, and then we became teammates, and I was like, wow, like I love this guy. Yeah, and we and we got really close, and and uh, and you know, to this day when we see each other, we just kind of start laughing because um, then after we were teammates, we were opponents again. But I now understood Ricky and and Ricky was definitely one of those guys that would go into character on the field. You know, he's the guy in left field, you know, and he's him and the fans in left field. They're bannering going back and he's smiling and he's and he's doing all of his his tricks and games. But when he would come to the plate, it was odd, you know, and I, and I remember <laughs> we were in the third base dugout and as, as being an opponent of his after being his teammate. And he would always kind of step out. He would kind of kick his toes, you know, and the and his cleats and stuff into the ground. And he was kind of always look not into the dugout, but look above to the dugout, like kind of staring off into space, into the fans and this and that. And and but he was demanding that everyone watch him at this very moment. And I remember I was in the dugout and I was like, I'm gonna mess Ricky up. And I stood up and I started waving my arms and I'm like, Hey, Ricky. I said, I see you. 
And he kind of looked at me and he kind of was like, and it took him completely out of his mojo. I mean, completely out of his character because it was broken. And for me, I was just, you know, for me, it was like, hey, listen, let me try to take his edge away or his character away, even though I wasn't pitching against him, but we were playing against him and he was so dominant. But it's crazy because for one second, you know, a lot of times I, I watch starting pitchers all the time being a pitcher. And I'm like, if I see someone start to talk or as they're walking off the mound and headed for the dugout or or smile or laugh or or get into it with maybe one of the other players on the other team and 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 in fun, right? I always right. go, uh oh, you're in trouble. <laughs> and you're I'm losing like, your you're losing your edge. Yeah, because that fo- you, that focus you in that edge, you can't it's not a light switch. You can't turn it on and off. And so I see it. I see it happen so often, especially in amateur sports. You know, I see it. I see it so often. But you know what? You know what I? You know what I see it in today's game. That's that. I, I shake my head because we we played in a different generation. Yeah. And game will get out of hand. There'll be a position player come in to pitch to a hitter. Yeah. Now that was the biggest nightmare for me ever. Cause now all of a sudden we've gone from big league baseball where this, this matters. My AB matters to kind of, yeah. it's a circus now. Yeah. It's, it's a sideshow. Yeah. But, but it's still going to be on the back of my bubblegum card. What I do right here. So yeah, I've got right. as a hitter in a position players pitching, uh, you're in a no win situation. Of course, yeah, as a hitter, pressure's you're, on supposed, you. you're supposed to get a hit. Yeah. And if you don't, everybody's laughing, yucking it yeah, up. I see today sure. when they strike out against a position player, it's it's like laughing. I'm thinking, that's not funny to me if I'm hitting. No. I don't care. When <laughs> it counts, when the game counts and I make it out, it's still an out. Yeah. And, and uh, I don't know. I, I don't understand it. Maybe I'm getting old. But yeah. um, the Ricky thing is, is an awesome example because he is a guy that if you never get to play with him, you, you – you just watch him across the field. He yeah. is a guy that you can't stand, and I couldn't yeah. stand him either. Uh, good friend of mine, Trevor Hoffman, was teammates with Ricky like you, and yeah. he said, Booney, I'll tell you, he's one of the best teammates I've ever had. He's I awesome. love Ricky Henderson. Then yeah. I got to where I worked with the A's. Uh, I was just a special assistant for a couple years in, in 14 and 15, and Ricky was a special assistant with me. Yeah. So we'd be an instructional ball together. I got to know him. Yeah. One of my favorite non-teammate baseball players ever. So I now I see that yeah. uh, the charisma that he he's always had that, but the yeah. draw and the reason guys like you who are teammates with him say what a, what an awesome guy he yeah. really is. He really is. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, how do did I pronounce that right? Cobita Pokey. Cobito Pokey. That's it. Oh. All right. Yeah. You grew up in Washington. I know that. Uh, how how'd you get into this? What what inspired this? You know. Um, so it was, uh, you know, it was about five years ago, I guess. And, and, um, you know, at the time my father, uh, was battling, you know, multiple myeloma blood cancer and I was going back and forth, you know, they, my parents lived in up in the Seattle area. So I was flying back and forth from Phoenix and, you, you know, my dad had a 20 year bout with this disease and, and, you know, it, it was ugly. And, and a lot of times in ICU, lots of chemo, lots of treatment, lots of different things. And, and it just started to wear on his body, you know, especially those last few years. And, you know, and I'm watching my father 
And, you know, after him retiring from baseball, it's supposed to be the golden years, but um, his golden years are the fight of his life for his life. And so it wasn't like he retired from baseball and he's taking vacations and he's doing all these things or, or enjoying his golden years. He's in the, he's in the greatest battle he's ever been in in his life, but I'm watching him and I'm watching, you know, his quality of life. And, and I'm like, you know, and I had a little brother pass of leukemia. I was 15. He was 11. And I'm like, this is crazy that cancer is attacking our family again. And, and, uh, you know, I just, I was at a place where, and, and I was at a place where I'm like, man, I'm, I'm a former athlete. I'm not in the best shape that I ever wanted to be in at that very moment. I'm watching kind of my bot, my dad's body deteriorate through all of the treatment and go through the battle of this. And I'm like, there's gotta be a better way. So I really, I really got refocused on physical fitness and, and mental fitness and spiritual fitness and all of this thing and said, you know, I've got five kids. I want to, I want to be around as long as I can be for my five kids. And, and then my partner uh, out of the blue says, Hey, let's go look at this restaurant. And we, we have a private equity fund and, and it's not a, an, an equity fund where people can invest in it. He owns half of it. I own half of it. You know, we got a number of companies and stuff that we dabble in and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and, and I was like, no, I don't want to look at a restaurant because everything I knew about a restaurant was every athlete that ever got involved, they just went under someone sticks their name on the deal. And he goes, no, let's just go. He goes, look, let's just at least go to lunch. And we walk in and it's a pokey concept. And I'm like, man, this is my favorite. I love sushi and the whole raw fish and rice and vegetables and sauces and throw it in a bowl. I'm like, this is unbelievable. And he's and the, the guy we were meeting with was looking to expand in Arizona only. And then we walked out of that meeting. My partner looks at me, he goes, what do you think? I said, I'm going to take it to the nation. He goes, no, that's not that's not part of the deal. I said, well, I don't really care what he wants to do. I said, listen, and and, and here was the question I asked my partner. I said, and it's quick service. And I said, look, look, here's here's the here's the here's the question I have for you is name name five quick service restaurants where you can go eat where the food is good for you. He couldn't name one. And I'm like, you see, everything that this food line represents came either from a farm or came from the ocean. There's no preservatives. It's not man-made, right? It, it was. It's all in its natural self. And it's everything that we need to be consuming to perform at a high level, for our bodies to perform at a high level. And I started to reflect on our careers. Now, look, the athlete today eats different than we ate back in our cafeterias and our kitchens, you know, and it's all about high performance. But at the end of the day, I started thinking about it. It's like I can eat a poke bowl at lunch and I can go get an hour let uh, an hour later. I can go perform at the highest level. But and then I would compare it always in this conversation, I'd say, now let's let's reflect and go back to Thanksgiving dinner and tell me what are you doing one hour after Thanksgiving dinner? Probably laying on a couch, probably got a remote in your hand, probably got the NFL on TV and you're probably sleeping. You're not performing. So right. for me at that moment watching my father, knowing our family history, understanding how food played a role in performance, I was like this for me it was a no I, I love the food, I eat it consistently. And I was like, this is a no-brainer. And 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 so I wanted to give people an option 
to to be able to eat something, to consume something that's delicious, but at the same time nutritious, and at the same time an hour later don't need a nap can go perform, whether it's in business, whether it's in sport, or whether it's everyday life. That is funny because that's that's what we do. Because I I've been into fitness for a long time, and I like, you know, food is fuel, and I and I get all. But you're right, Thanksgiving, and most of us that that stick to somewhat of a diet, there's certain times of the year where you kind of go off it. And I and sure. Thanksgiving for me, yeah, I have the turkey. But you're right, it puts you in that mode of I'm sitting there watching football, and I'm tired, and and I ate too much because I'm saving up for this big Thanksgiving feast and no, I get it. So, uh, no, very cool. You're doing that. Uh, you mentioned pops, obviously you grew up in a family. We, there's a lot of similarities, uh, from the Stottlemyers and the Boones. You, you had a brother, you had a brother that came up, uh, played professionally, played for the, the Royals yeah. in 1990. Dad had a great career with the Yankees and, and, yeah. uh, you know, I'm a little jealous. I, 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 at the top, I said, you had three world series, Dad had five. Yeah. Believe me, I beat my head against the door. And and when he was uh, the pitching coach for the Yankees under Joe Torre and all those great teams, I had many a battle and, and usually didn't come out on the good end of it. But uh, my dad's got two now. One is an executive and one 1980 Phillies. My yeah. grandpa had one. You know, he passed away years ago, but uh, he, he won a World Series. I got nothing. I got a second place ring. Aaron's never had one. So there's a little jealousy when it comes to rings between the Boons and the Stoudemires, but a lot of similarities. And there's not too many guys I get to talk to that kind of lived our life. Um, I want to talk about pops and brother. Um, I think you were, were you the big, you're the little brother. I'm the little so brother. So Mel Jr. is two years older than you. Yeah. And, I'm trying to think Aaron and myself grew up. I have a younger brother too, Matthew. Uh -huh. We grew up running around the stadium, uh, Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, then Aaron was four years younger than me. My dad got traded to the angels. So Aaron got to do the, the young guy thing in Anaheim. Right. Uh, I was in high school. I was getting a little older, getting into, you know, playing baseball and, and right. getting on with my life, going to college. Right. But right. man, those experiences as a kid, uh, they're awesome. And at the time I, I just took it for granted that no dad goes to the ballpark. He's a big yeah. league player. That's what he does. Yeah. Uh, doesn't every kid get to do hang out at veteran stadium, hang out yeah. with, with Pete and, and Carlton and, and Schmitty and bull. That's Crazy. what everybody gets to do. You know, yeah. uh, now fast forward to where I am in life. Now you look back and man, what, how fortunate I was and how cool it was. You grew up in a similar family. Dad was a big leaguer. Uh, dad was a big league coach forever. Yeah. Um, tell me about it. Tell, you me, know, about your, crazy tell because, me about your childhood. Yeah. You know, very similar. And, you know, our families are very similar in, in the fact that, um, you know, we're lucky enough to be a part of major league baseball. And that's how I really look at it. It's like, man, I'm so grateful of, of my father's career of growing up in that as a kid. And, and you're right. You're not aware of how lucky, Right. And you mentioned, you know, your father's teammates and it's like, gee, many cricket. Right. It's like you were around Hall of Famers and you're you're hanging out and you're in the clubhouse and you're out roaming the fields. And, you know, it was a different game then. It's like, you know, when I was going to Yankee Stadium, you know, it's like my father's teammates were Mantle, Maris and Ford. Right. It's like, you know, in the early days, I still remember Mickey 
you know, pre-game would be in the ice bath and post-game would be in the ice bath. And he would yell at me, hey, kid, go get me something to drink out of the deal or whatever. But, you know, uh, and Mickey was great to us. And and it's and it's just crazy that, you know, and Yogi Berra being my father's first manager. And then and then like decades later, Yogi celebrating his 80th birthday. I'm celebrating my 40th and we're doing it together in New York. And it's like it's almost like, is this even real? And, you know, when you look back on it, you look you look at your dad's career, you look at your dad's teammates, you look at all of that, you get to be around it. And it's like, you know, but yet we're just kids. And we and and as kids, you that's exactly right. You think like, well, everyone it's not this isn't unique. And it's like I would be in New Jersey and we, you know, have the broomsticks, tennis balls and chalk bases on the street and. You know, mom would yell, dad's going to the stadium and we would run over, pour, throw our Yankee uniforms on and go to the go to every home game with my father. And and Yankee Stadium was nothing more than a playground for us. And and very similar to how you guys grew up. And and I and I and I look back and it's like it's not like, hey, I watched guys and I was learning from them. And let me go write this no. down and, and let me go use this for my career. But it is there is something so powerful to it. Think about it. Your childhood, my childhood, same type of childhoods. We were in the same type of environments. And then those environments, whether we know it or not, helped lead us to follow our dream to also then play Major League Baseball. Now, what happens is when we have our careers and wherever stages our kids are in, it's not the same deal. Kids aren't, they're not allowed to just run around the clubhouse. They're not allowed to run on the field. They didn't get, they don't get the opportunity today to have the environments that we had when we were kids. You know, it's not the same. I mean, during Yankee games, I would sit next to Ralph Houck, who was the manager. And I, and there's a Yankee game going on. Or I would sit in, if I was in the stands, I would sit on the lap of Mrs. Babe Ruth. And she would buy us ice cream. I would go, I'm like, I'm, I'm going down to see Mama Ruth because she's going to buy. And when I tell people that I sit on Mrs. Babe Ruth's lap, they go like, how is that possible? Right. Well, people don't realize that she didn't pass till 72, right? I was seven at the time. So when I'm four, five, and six, I'm wearing Mrs. Babe Ruth out to buy me ice cream at Yankee Stadium. And I'm literally posted up on her lap and, you know, on her deal. So, yeah, I, we might not have been aware of what we were learning, but we were learning. We might not have been aware of what we were developing, but we were developing. Listen, it's like our environments. We become the, you know, we there's so much talk about you become your environments, but you become your environments. Like, look, if I go to Cabo with a group of friends, right? And and like they like to have a good time. There's a good chance I'm following suit in Cabo having a good time. You're gonna, you're going to become that environment. If I go to Cabo just with my wife, it's probably in a different environment and it's probably different fun than if I go with a group of guys. So right. our environments and, and 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 all of that is just it leads so much to us. We don't. And I think that many times people aren't even aware of what's happening. And and I believe that that's true for us when we were young. And, and I would tell you that when I look back on it, it's like man, I'm just so grateful that I can have even have those memories of those times. So and they are. yeah, and they are. And I think as kids, we take them for granted because like you mentioned, 100%. It's, it's the norm for us. Uh, you know, my dad was I don't know how your dad was about it. My dad was very much a hey, 
here's the game of baseball. Let me hang around as much as possible. Hopefully one day, Brett, this is what you love to do. But he was very supportive. I never felt any pressure. You know, I'm sure you get questions all the time, especially when you were, were getting to the big leagues, you know, signing, going to the minor leagues. I got the questions all the time. Uh, you know, growing up, it must have really helped you. And, and I developed a, a stock answer. It's like, you know, when you, because when, when you have that uniform on, when I had that Philly uniform on running around, probably driving the guys crazy, shagging balls. For sure. Uh, you've got not a worry in the world. It becomes your job. It's different. So I remember when I first got to the big leagues, my first game, well, this isn't a big deal for you. You grew up and I said, the hell it ain't a big deal. I yeah. said, I grew up as a kid. This yeah. is my job now. If I don't do my job, I get fired. So yeah. it's different. But but once I thought about it, it's like, I don't know how much that that helped me growing up in that in that environment in this family. But I know one thing. I know it didn't hurt me. Yeah. And that's kind of my stock answer now. But but, uh, yeah, no, you know, there's, 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 you know, that very true for me too. It's like, you know, they would say, well, you know, you're ready for this and your whole life is that I'm like, yeah, but now I have to perform. Right. Where, just like you say, you know, before, you know, when we were going to the stadium as kids, I, I mean, I wasn't nervous. I wasn't preparing for a game. I wasn't, I didn't have to worry about any outcomes and now it's our jobs, right? It's a completely different animal. And it's like, yeah, it, the game is on the line and we got a chance to either make it or break it. And it is our job and we have a job to do. And and there's prep work and there's all the nervous energy and all those things. It's like, look, we didn't we didn't just because we grew up in that environment. It didn't prepare us to overcome our nerves prior to game time. Right. <laughs> because exactly. we didn't have nerves as a kid. Right. So we were like everyone else in that. And, and from a standpoint, our first our first, your first at bat, my first game, my first pitch. I remember they brought me in Kansas City in 1988 because I was going to pitch like game six or seven because of off days and I was the fifth starter in the rotation and all that. Um, they brought me in in the first series against Kansas City. And I remember out of the bullpen just to kind of like get my legs under me for my first start against the Twins. And uh, I remember going getting out on the mound. I couldn't even lick my lips. Right. And and my and I was standing on the mound and and in a stretch position and and my right leg is shaking. And I'm like, ah, listen, uh, we can be around the game our whole life. But if you're not prepared to compete at that level, it's a it's a whole nother animal that is hard to explain. But, you know, all of a sudden it's like, man, it's the, for me at that moment was the biggest thing in the world and 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 everything else. So, um you know, I'll, I'll say kudos to you on your stock answer. I, I, I'm going to adopt it, and I love it. And it's Enjoy perfect. it. Just just yeah. give me a little credit. Give me a little, it. little CC. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. 
we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Growing up, dad was one way for me. And once I turned pro, once I signed my contract, uh, we, we had a different relationship when it came to the game of baseball. He was always dad and he could, you know, my dad played up until I was in double A. I was in double A with the Mariners and dad was still in the big league. So I was like, you know, if dad can hang on for another year, I can maybe play with him, but it never, never happened. But once I got there, our relationship changed. It it became, uh, we still had the father, son, doing regular activities, but we also had a professional relationship. I would work with him in the off season. He knew my swing more than, more than anybody. I mean, I had times during seasons in Cincinnati, if dad wasn't working somewhere, I'd send him a plane ticket. He'd fly in and meet me under the, under the stadium before anybody got to the ballpark. Yeah. Cause he knew my swing so well. Uh, as far as my brother, we were teammates one year, uh, but we'd always keep up with each other. You know, I'd be calling him, once a week, how you doing? How's your swing? If if he had faced somebody that I was about to face, hey, what do you think? He's yeah. still doing this. Is he still doing this, this, and this? So yeah. we were always back and forth with Intel. I had Greg Maddox on the program. He talked about having a, his brother Mike, and he he said if it, there was a series come up, I'd I'd call Mike and say, hey Mike, how did this guy? Is he swinging it? Is he doing well? Yeah. How was that relationship once you became a pro from from uh, with your brother and uh, with pops? Yeah so similar it's so crazy it's like this is like a mirror reflection it's like um you know you know we were always really really close as a family and and you know we've maintained that and and um you know it was it was uh, um the trading of information right just yeah. much like you yeah. said but you know my father much like your father kind of the relate yeah the father son and and, and, and even a brotherhood, right. It was like, you know, we had, you know, my, my dad was like our best friend. He was like, he was like one of the, he was one of the boys. He was one, you know, if we were hunting, fishing, we were doing something in the winter. It was like, it was just, it was just buddies, you know, my brothers, uh, my father, myself, it was just friends getting together. You know, we had similar values. We had similar interests and, and all of that. And then, you know, we're also, you know, you got father son relationship that's also going on. But, um, you know, dad became more than dad. When I got to major league baseball, he became that go-to person when the chips were down for me. And, and I'll never forget 1992. And I'll share a quick story with you is, is, you know, in 1992, it was, you know, the first, you know, through July, the Blue Jays, we were tearing it up and we had about a 10 game lead in the East. And, and then we hit a skid, you know, the dog days of August, they hit us hard and, and we went on a skid and it was kind of like everyone was catching up and we weren't playing well, but on top of the team wasn't playing well, I was just getting killed on the mound. And I'd lost like five in a row or something like that. And, and if you lose five in a row as a starting pitcher, that like that's a bad month or month and a half, right? That's miserable. Yeah. And I wasn't just losing though. I was having a hard time even getting to the fifth inning. Now in today's game it might be a little different, but back then you were expected to get to the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, right? And you were expected to get deep into the game, and you were expected to be able to throw 125, 130 pitches in the game. Well. I'm not even getting, and, and in some cases, I'm getting bounced out of games in the third and the fourth. 
And when I say bounce, I'm giving up eight, nine, 10 runs. It's not like I'm giving up a couple runs. I'm getting murdered on the mound. And, and I remember I, I called my father. I said, Dad, and he was a pitching coach at the time with the New York Mets. I said, Dad, I'm struggling. He goes, man, I see that. And I said to him, I said, you know, Dad, when I make a good pitch, I'm not getting anyone out. When I make a bad pitch, they're either hitting them over the wall or off the wall. I feel like I feel like all I'm doing is backing up third if, if they don't hit a home run. I go, and he says, you know, interesting, Todd. He goes, I don't actually see you making a lot of good pitches. <laughs> I was like, geez. I was like, wow, really? He goes, yeah, those pitches that you're throwing up and in on guys, especially when you're behind in the count, those are not good pitches. I said, these guys are too good to be able to fight it off and find outfield grass. But if you don't make your pitch up and in and it's out over the plate, that's where you're getting launched. And I said, exactly what's happening. And he says, listen, Todd, he says, I want you to focus on three things on your mound work in between your starts. And if you'll do these three things, here's what he said, you'll dominate. And I'm like, dominate? Dude, I can't even get to the fifth inning. I just want to survive right now. I'm like, I'm trying to uh, look, I'm look, kind of looking over my shoulder in 1990. I'm like, are they going to replay? I mean, this is brutal. And I mean, I'm getting blasted and booed and I'm headlines and, and you're going through all of that and you're not. Pit- he goes, no, he goes, listen to me, you'll dominate. I mean, he had so much belief. Right. And it's kind of like I always say, your coaches will believe things in you that you can't at the time. And that, and sometimes you got to borrow the belief of the people you respect. Well, my father was the person I respected. He was he was the guy I went to when the chips were down. So I was like, okay, Pops, if you say I can dominate, then I can dominate. But what are those three things? He goes, look, you got to stay back in your delivery. You got to finish strong and you got to think down. You're pitching up too much. You can't pitch up like that, especially at this level. He says, you don't have that kind of stuff. He says, you have electric stuff when you're down in the zone. I said, okay, stay back, finish strong, think down. He goes, that's it. He goes, well, there is one more thing. I'm like, I knew it. I go, it couldn't have been that simple. He says, in the bill of your cap, of your game cap, I want you to write K-I-S-S. I said, KISS? He goes, yeah, it stands for keep it simple, stupid. And he goes, now, do you know what keep it simple, stupid stands for? And I'm like, no, what, Pops? He goes, it stands for stay back, finish strong, think down. So every time you get out there and things start to get cloudy for you, all you have to do is go back to the three, stay back, finish strong, think down. That's it. And if you can do this consistently, you'll dominate. Now, of course, I did my mound work, stay back, finish strong, think down. Pretty simple. I go out for my next game. It's in Chicago at Comiskey Park. I throw one hit. The hit I give up in the game was in the eighth inning. It's the only hit. It's probably the best game I'd ever pitched in the major leagues, almost through a no hitter. But the five starts prior to that, I couldn't even get to the fifth inning. And it was like my most trusted advisor, the guy I respected the most, the guy I could count on when the chips were down, who was my dad. And, and yet he could realign me, but not just realign me, he could then lend me his belief in me that I la- was lacking at the time for myself. And that was the power of that father-son combination, that person that when they tell you something, it's like, okay, I'll run with a run through a wall with this information because, Dad, I trust you. I respect you. So that relationship of father-son based on what they've done in the past, who they are today, 
and our trust in them a lot, even if the information was wrong, we could take that information and go have success with it because of our belief from them providing, just like your father with your swing, he can come in and he can say this. And whether it, listen, whether it's even right, wrong, or indifferent, you would say yes and go perform with that information. That's the power and the trust of having those dads and then having the trust in the dad. But but now they're becoming more than dad. They're becoming the coach. They're becoming our mentors. And they're becoming our confidants and the people we go to when the chips were down. So that's kind of how it was for them. And then, you know, having my brother both in the game and my father, you know, someone knew something about information if I was going to go. And, you know, I could find out if someone was running, if someone was doing this, you know, what are they looking for with two strikes? Uh, uh, You know, and and I would always go through, you know, can I throw my slider to this guy with two strikes or is he diving? And it's like, no, he's diving. Listen, if you throw your curveball, you'll freeze him with two strikes. So I would gather that type of information. So it, it definitely was added and it was a massive benefit to helping me throughout my career. And I think, too, something that 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 was an advantage for us is the, the people closest to us, the, the our loved ones could actually relate to what we were going through because they've yeah. been there. They've been on that mound. They've been in that yeah. box. You know, a lot of time, most people don't have a, a big league father or a big league brother yeah. where, Hey, you, you just don't know what, it, you know, when I'm in the box, well, I, I'd love to help you, Brett, but I, I don't know what it's like being in a major league box at Yankee stadium. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we do have that, but that's, that's really cool stuff. And and there is a, a kinship you, you, you kind of, you develop, especially at the pro level. And when you're an adult, when you're a kid, dad's giving me a hard time about my swing. I was like, shut up, dad. I don't want, you're just dad being dad. But, but yeah. as it got older, it became a very professional relationship. Did you ever cross paths with your dad? Cause I know a lot of times he was in the national league. You were in the American league. That was kind of before and a little bit after the the interleague play started did you ever cross paths yeah 1998 actually uh i was texas i I was with the cardinals i got traded to the rangers and yes and uh that's what i was thinking (laughs) yeah you know what's crazy too is is that 98 it was is my is my mom kind of let the cat out of the bag which was kind of funny because um she called me like at noon on the trading day. And, and I just turned a deal down with the Cardinals and they told me, they said, look, you don't take the deal. We're going to have to. And I said, listen, I understand. I said, but you know, I'm two months away from free agency, from listening to major league baseball, tell me how good or bad I am. I kind of want to hear with the information before I make a decision. And it was my first time being a free agent, but uh, it was, it was, it was prior to noon. And and my mom calls, she goes, now, listen, your dad's going to kill me, but I just want you to know Steinbrenner made a deal with the Cardinals. And I'm like, what? So I'm thinking, man, I'm going to New York and I'm going to, I'm not, I'm going to not only be the first time that we're in the same league, but I get, I get to get a chance to go. And my thinking at the time was, I remember hanging up the phone going, this is going to be so cool. I'll play two months with my dad. Hopefully we'll win a world championship. And then I'll come back and sign with the Cardinals and go on with my career. That that's literally what I was thinking at the time. And, and then I got to the stadium and, and I'm supposed to pitch against Maddox that night. We're in Atlanta. LaRusso walks in. He says, Hey, Stott, I need to see you in the office. And I'm like, Yeah, I know. And and I'm thinking, I'm going in there and he's gonna say, Hey, we traded you to the Yankees. And he says, Hey, listen, you know, he goes, I hate to, I hate, you know, I I, I want to keep, you know, I and, and we had a great relationship. And he goes, But 
you know, the club has to do this. I go, listen, I understand. I respect the club. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited at the time. I'm thinking, man, I'm going to New York. And, 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 and then he says, yeah, we traded you to the Texas Rangers. And I'm like, what? Mom, come on. (laughs) I'm like, I'm going to the Texas Rangers. I said, I thought I was going to the Yankees. He goes, where'd you hear that? Oh, nowhere. And I'm like, uh, yeah, pull one of those. And he goes, listen, and here's what he says. We we decided not to make that move out of fear we would never get you back. And I'm like, wow. And I said, so, and I, it was so funny. I go, dude, what place is they, what, what place are, they, are the Rangers in? He goes, well, they're a game behind the Angels right now. You're going to have to go do your job. And I'm like, wow, I'm not just getting traded I'm going to a team now, a game behind. And and by the way, the pressure of being the hired gun to help them win a division right. is at a whole new level now for me. And uh, but was but was awesome. I relished in it and it was great. And, and you know, and it was funny. I I at my first start in Texas was awesome and got a standing ovation and then I went on a skid (laughs) and then pretty soon I'm getting booed out of the stadium in Arlington. And, and then literally I just like all chips down and, and, and uh, had a great September and, and we ended up winning and then guess who we play in the playoffs? Well, of course the New York Yankees. So now I'm going up game one in New York, David Wells is on the mound. My dad's in the dugout and I'm the opposing pitcher and, um, you know, it was probably one of the best, it's odd, it's probably one of the best games I've ever thrown in the playoffs uh, through a complete game loss in New York and and got beat, you know, two to one. And it's like, hang with them. And uh, and I remember, you know, I met with my mom and dad afterwards. We And then we, you know, we went out together and the whole deal. And, and it was funny because George Steinbrenner walked up and he says, hey, nice game. And I was like, you know, I, I'm thinking like, nice game. I just lost. Like, I. I like, I want to punch you in the face, George. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I was supposed to be on your team. <laughs> right. You know? So that's cool. And, you know, I got to play. It's, it's bizarre. Cause I, when I signed in 1990, uh, was my draft. And by 1992, I was in the PCL. And my dad took his first job outside of being a player as the manager of Tacoma. So I played against him all year and I, and it was weird at first, but I did really good when he was in that other dugout. So I just look forward. When are we going to play dad? I'm going to kick yeah. his ass. And it was yeah. great. I got to the big leagues and uh, I get traded after the 93 season. I get a phone call from Seattle and I said, yeah, Brett, uh, we made a trade. You're going to the Cincinnati Reds. And I'm, Oh no. And Davey Johnson gets on the phone and, Hey, Booney, glad to have you, this and that. Well, Davey Johnson and my father had played together back in the 70s. Yeah. And he said, by chance, is your dad around? And I said, uh, matter of fact, he's right here. I hand my dad the phone. You know, I go away. I do whatever I'm doing. My dad hangs up the phone. He walks out into the kitchen. He said, Brett, um, how would you feel about me being the bench coach for the Reds? And you had that reaction. I mean, you were, you were a veteran player at that time, so it's a yeah. little different mindset. But I'm this yeah. young player just finally kind of kind of establishing myself in Seattle. Now I get traded. I, I feel like I've got to do it all over again in the national yeah. league. Yeah. And now I got my dad. I got to drag with me. My <laughs> first thought was 
I don't want you looking over your shoulder at your kid. I'll yeah. tell you what, Todd. It was one of my – it might have been my favorite year in the game. It yeah. was completely nothing like I thought it was going to be. He was as professional as you possibly could be. It was coach, player. He was with the coaches. It's like I didn't even know he was there. Yeah. But then the the bonus is that off that off day, I can go have lunch with my dad yeah. and hang out. But it was all business when we were at the ballpark. He was yeah. the bench coach. He acted as such, as any other bench coach I've ever had. And it was really cool. And, uh, you That's know, looking awesome. back, it was cool. And then he managed the Kansas City Royals, and I was the Mariners, and I'd love to come in and beat the crap out of him. Kids. <laughs> he yeah. managed the Reds for a couple of years. So I, I had a I had a lot more uh, interaction with him uh, crossing paths, but, yeah. but always cool. Yeah. Um, you got to the big leagues in 1988. Yeah. And that was Exhibition Stadium. I never got to play there. I just got to see it on TV. But starting there and then what was about to come, which was the biggest craze, maybe in all of sports, when uh, Sky Dome, now Rogers Center, opened. I mean, that I remember being a young player, up and coming, and I remember watching you guys in Toronto going, that's the biggest game in town right there. It, that, yeah. that city was on fire. You had the new state-of-the-art stadium. Everybody's talking about the hotel in center field. You know, I'm hearing Robbie Alomar's got a room up there. You know, I'm a yeah. second baseman. I'm looking at Robbie Alomar at the time. It's like, I want to be him. Yeah. Uh, but tell me that the beginning of your career, going from exhibition, your first season, to now the grand opening of uh, of the Sky Dome and and – We'll talk about those years, those World Series years in a minute, yeah. but just your initial reaction, the change from from the old stadium to the new. Yeah, so my first start in 88 um, in Exhibition Stadium, it didn't get rained out. It didn't get snowed out. It's the only time in my career, and I've never even heard of this ever before, we got colded out. It was so cold, <laughs> and it was so windy that they called the game. And it was my first, it was going to be my first start at exhibition stage. So my first time as a major league pitcher, being a rookie, that I was going to pitch in Canada in front of the home crowd. And it, the game gets colded out. And I was thinking to myself, I just want to let's just go play. Because I don't want to go through another night, you know, where I'm gonna and all the jitters and all the stuff. I was like, I don't want to go through it another night. But that stadium, um, I got to tell you, in April and even in May, it's like no one wanted to pitch. No one wanted to hit. Uh, and and you could get that breeze coming off the lake, and it, it could be miserable. Now, at that time, you know, the club is kind of like a little bit in a transition. Um, you know, my first year was Pat Borders' first year. And, and, and here Borders really went through the minor leagues as a third baseman. And, you know, I think he had caught one year and – in the minor leagues, they wanted to make him a catcher. And then next thing you know, he's, he's joining the club with me as a catcher and, and uh, behind earning whip. But uh, we were kind of like the, well, we were the only rookies on the team. We were the only young guys on the team and everyone else was, you know, is in that place where they were trying to build a winner. So there was some transition going on. And, and then the, the whole thing with the sky dome, um, uh, the sky dome and, and and Labatt's owning the team and 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 they they were just committed, you know, Pat Gillick being the general manager. And, and I'm sure you ran across Gillick and had Gillick as a GM one time or another. Yeah, and, uh, Seattle. Yeah. And and it's like, you know, and he was positioning and putting people together. But not only the 
at the Sky Dome, but the Sky Dome also opened up a whole new world where that team started to transform and it started to transform into the Sky Dome team, you know, really, you know, and it was like, you know, they bring Robbie over and they bring Joe over and they bring Devon White over and they start, you know, plugging in these guys along with some of the guys that had grown up in the organization. And, and those years in Toronto were like, I mean, it's funny because um, people actually as free agents wanted to go to Toronto, <laughs> you know, where it wasn't, you know, where I think at one, you know, at some point they were probably begging guys to come there. You know, you got exhibition stadium, it's cold as hell. You got customs, you're in another country. Right. So all of a sudden you got the sky dome, you got an opportunity. Hey, this team looks like they can win. And, and, and the blue Jays started to recruit some great, great, you know, some great talent in, and then, you know, when we won in 92, 93, and the fan support, 4 million fans back-to-back years, it's like 8 million people watched those teams, you know, and um, during the home games. And by the way, it was like, it's not that they just sold out. There wasn't a seat anywhere. And literally people would get there early and they would stay all the way until the end of the game. And And I think because of the excitement of the club, because – if the club was behind, they might come back and win this game and they didn't and they didn't want to miss it. So it wasn't like, hey, we'll show up in the second or third or get there late or get there, whatever. I mean, people were there like, you know, 30 minutes before game time. That place was filling up. I mean, when I would go warm up in a bullpen, it was like everyone was already in the stadium. It was crazy and it was a crazy time. And and uh, I mean, I, I look back, I was, you know, I'm, I look back now and I'm like, man, I'm just so grateful that. I got a chance to be a part of those great clubs because, I mean, when I think about a lot of the teammates, you know, we we recruited Cone over right through a trade, and and at one point we had Jack Morris and Dave Stewart and Dave Winfield and Paul Molitor, Ricky Henderson. You start looking at those names, it's like, oh, hey, oh yeah, oh by the way, these guys are all in the Hall of Fame, but those guys were wanting to go to Canada, you know, and it was. And it and and they were and and they were looking at it as an opportunity to win a World Series. Who would have thought, right? And when and then and and that's a long ways from Exhibition Stadium in 1988 to getting yeah. colded out. I mean, there was this major transformation. And then, of course, the city of Toronto is. I mean, I don't know how what your feelings are for, but it's like I loved it, man. And it was like, you know, uh, other than the hassle of going in and out and. And going through customs and this and that, it was it was a great place for me to grow up in the game. It was a great place for me to separate, kind of like that separation a little bit from my father to become my own person, to become my own player. You know, I'm in Canada. I'm, I'm in a completely different country than my father. So it allowed me to be Todd and not just Mel's son. And that was, a, by the way, that was a big deal for me. And, you know, you kind of touched on it earlier, but it was like, I'm going to be myself, my own character. And, and everyone knows, you know, I was an emotional pitcher where, you know, something could break out and, and it's game on where, you know, my father was this very mild mannered competitor who burned from the inside out. I think I burned from the outside in and, and, and at the same time, but I was allowed to be me. And I'll, I'll say, you know, um, you know, we were talking about it earlier, you know, my father also allowed me to be me. You know, he he didn't try to say, hey, when I played, he didn't he didn't do any of that right. garbage with me. He was like, hey, listen, he goes, let's find a way to contain it so you can use all of that fire. 
He didn't try to take the fire away from me because I was embarrassing him as his son of, you know, getting ejected and charging umpires and bumping people. He didn't, he didn't try to change me. He allowed me to be me. And, and he goes, but let's see if we can get it more focused where you can use it to win instead of just blow up. And, right. and so, you know, that, and by the way, that takes a lot of courage for, you know, for our fathers to allow us to be ourselves because they were so respected in the game. Mm-hmm. Listen, your father was so, and still is, and, and your brother is, you know, in New York and, and yourself and your careers and your grandfather. It's like, if there was ever a baseball family, uh, the last name sounds like Boone to me. And it's like, you know, it's the Boones, it's the Griffies, and it's like, and it's cool. And, and then when I look at our family, it's like, hey, we get to be a part of those guys. You know, and that's how I will honestly, I would just tell you that um, from my father to my brother to myself, it's like that that little, you know, that that kind of fraternity, right, of families and baseball. Look, we took pride in, in, in the name Stoudemire being married to the name Boone and being married to the name Griffey. There was a lot of pride in that, that, hey, we were also carrying it out and we never felt like. Uh, we were ever leading that fraternity. We always felt like, hey, we just lucky to be a part of that fraternity. So I don't know if I answered your question. I know I went in about a nine different tangents there. But the fact of the matter is, um, you mentioned the Sky Dome. Toronto did transform around that. And then and then they began to, you know, trade and acquire through free agency. And, and I got to tell you, that city was alive. I'll never forget, you know, pulling out of the stadium and uh in 93 after the second world championship and uh first of all you had to wait like it was probably five hours because the city i mean it was like it was like the entire country invaded the streets and you couldn't you couldn't get out of the stadium so we were like locked i mean we were getting hammered in the clubhouse right (laughs) and but at the same time you know we were celebrating what is time to get out of there and we couldn't get out of the stadium you know, you couldn't pull out on the streets because people were not leaving. And it was like until sunup to where people were like, maybe they got tired and they were like, OK, <laughs> you know, or maybe they were drunk enough that they finally went home and went to bed. But whatever it was, but it was like, I mean, you want to talk about awesome, like the greatest party in the world for us. You know, it was the coolest thing. And around baseball at that time, you know, in 92, I was at the Mariners. We weren't going anywhere and I remember watching you guys up there going, that's like I said at the opening, that, that, that was the party. That was the biggest thing going in town. Uh, and not just, I don't mean Toronto. I mean, on the big stage of major league baseball, yeah. that was the hot spot. Um, and the difference is you won in 92, you went again in 93. I remember vividly where I was sitting and I'm going to ask you about that in a minute when Carter hit the home run, but, um, not only are you playing for Toronto Blue Jays, you're playing. It seems like you guys, you're playing for the for Canada, for the country yeah. of Canada, yeah. almost almost like an Olympic event. Yeah. So whereas you know when when the Kansas City Royals win, they don't win one for the U.S. They win one for Kansas City. Yeah. But at that time in in history, when you guys were winning, it's like the whole the whole country was 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 kind of enjoying the the celebration along with the city of of Toronto. Made it so unique. Um, I I uh, I did an interview 
um, right before opening day with with uh, the fan radio up in, in Canada. And I said, you know, and they were kind of like talking about the old days and now, you know, the club today. And I said, look, when we played, it was like the WBC, you know, yeah. the, the name on the front of the uniform was so important. And it was so much more important than the name on the back of the uniform because we weren't just representing the city, we were representing the country. And 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 the thrill of that, and then and then to 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 you know the thought of winning a World Series in a country outside of America, right? So or outside of the United States. So people were like, you know, it was always like, you know, especially ESPN and a lot of things. They kind of always were like, okay, now it's the Blue Jays, you know. And it was like, and we kind of used it as fire, like, hey, no, we we're gonna be reckoned with. We're gonna be known. We're gonna look, we're not just another team up in Canada, you know, and, and we became that. And it was, it was like, you know, it was something special and, and it's, it's cool because, you know, to play on those teams and to represent, you know, not just, as you say, not just the city, not just like Kansas city. And it's, and it's crazy because another one of those things where I probably didn't know what we didn't know was I traveled to Vancouver, right? It's like, thousands of miles away from Toronto and and it's like you know and everyone in Vancouver is a Blue Jay fan yeah. and and when we would go play the Man Mariners it was like all the people from Vancouver would come down and invade the stadium and try to make it a home game for the Blue Jays and and it was just crazy where that whole country just fell in love uh with that club and and I you know it's so funny I think back and I'm like man I was just at that time, just a blue collar average guy trying to find my way in, into the game, trying to find my way into the deal, surrounded by stars and and uh, and surrounded by greatness. And 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 there's times where I was like, geez, I just don't even feel like I'm holding my part of the part of the bargain. But, you know, when I look back and I look back on my baseball career, People ask me a lot of times, you know, like, you know, what what are some of the what are some of the greatest moments? And for me, it's like it's never it was never, you know, it was never, you know, something I did personally. It was being a part of something that was bigger than me. And and being on those teams was pretty incredible. And I when I started digging into those teams, because I on the surface, of course, I, I remember the guys. But then when I really started looking at it year to year. Not only were some of my favorite humans in, in, on this earth pop up, Johnny got to play with in, in yeah. Seattle for a couple of years. Just one of my favorite men yeah. in life. Yeah. Uh, Pat Borders, I got to play with in Seattle. And this is kind of after his heyday. But, yeah. but what, a, what an unbelievable guy. And to yeah. this day, I have so many great memories of just sitting there with yeah. Pat after games and him talking me down you know pat was kind of the backup catcher he'd, he'd go yeah. to triple a what yeah. a what an unbelievable guy but yeah. besides that it's like i look at that world series team in 92 and it's like you had the carter and and robbie and ola rude your your starting staff was jack morris jimmy key dave steve one of the most underrated yeah. guys of all time i think for sure uh hanky wells is on that team yeah. Dwayne Ward, I remember as a kid, I'd, I'd get, I'd start when Dwayne Ward would come to come into the game. It, later, he was a closer. Yeah. I, I would start getting a twitch. I'm like, I, that ball is so heavy. I don't want to face Dwayne. Crazy. Ward. These yeah. are all guys in your bullpen. 
You win the World Series. A year later, your start rotation is and, – and I didn't mention you because you were in the middle of all – both of them. You had Pat Henkin, Guzman, Dave Stewart, yourself, and Jack Moore. So completely yeah. different pitching staff from yeah. 92 to 93, same result. It's phenomenal to me. Yeah. Well – Crazy. Paul Molitor, you mentioned. Yeah, you know, Molitor was there for night. Love Love yeah. So Winfield came in '92, and right. then and then uh, they didn't re-sign Winfield and signed Molitor, and it was just like we just traded Hall of Famers. And awesome. and you know, both of those guys. Interesting enough is both of those guys came to be basically the designated hitter, right? And 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 but both of those guys made a huge impact on those teams so Winfield made a massive impact in 1992 and then he and then he departs and then Mulder comes in and he makes a massive impact in 1993 and you could you could say hey if you take Winfield out of 92 and you take Mulder out of 93 would the Blue Jays have won and I I don't know the answer but I would be I, you know, it'd be hard to say, yeah, they would have won. Those guys made that kind of impact. And then you have, you know, the all of the different impacts. And it's like you mentioned, it's like, you know, Hankin and Guzman in 93. And it's like, well, where were they in 92? I mean, these are young guys. And they just came up dominating, man. And it yeah. was, I mean, it was crazy. It was like Guzman, I mean, I think he won like 10 in a row at one point or something. And he was, you know, just unhittable. And it's like, and and then you you know it's funny in 1988 you mentioned or, or in 1992 you mentioned Wells, he was in the bullpen. He's in the pen. Yeah. I mean, listen. <laughs> I mean, when you look back on his career, I mean, it's like he was a great left-handed starter. I mean, threw a perfect game, and he'd done a lot of great things as a starting pitcher. Won won a ton of games. He was in the bullpen in 1992. It's kind of it's and and an award. Is the setup man? You know, it's kind of like yeah, Rivera being the setup. It's kind of like Rivera being the setup man for Wetland, on, uh, and and unfortunate to Ward, he didn't he didn't last as long. He got injured, but this guy was. I mean, these setup men were, went on to be the best closers in the game when they became closers. I yep. mean, and these guys were setup guys. So when you look at the depth of that, it's like those teams. They're fun to look at, not because I played on them, but I always look. And I say, well, you know, and take me out of the picture because it had a little to do with me. But when I look at just just forget the pitchers, just look at the the guys that were playing every single day and go put those up against other teams. And it's like, damn, they were good, man. Yeah, I look at the 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 personnel from those two teams. It's just it's as star studded as I think we've ever seen. It's crazy. And the amount of those guys that are now today in the Hall of Fame or just missed the Hall of Fame, whatever. There's just so many of them. It's just, I mean, it's it's crazy. So, um, and it was fun. Like I say, it was, you know, to be around that, to be around those clubs and and to be around, you know, being a young guy and and to be to be around the Winfields, to be around the Molitors, to be around the Stewarts, to be around Jack Morris. And, and you know, Jack was, you know, here this, you know, at the time he was going to be a future Hall of Famer, but it was like, I mean, he was like a kid, man, and he just loved to compete. And and he would always say when he's going to the bullpen, he'd say, hey, kid, watch me outlast this guy. And, and you know, his game 
And his gamesmanship and his mindset was, I'm going to outlast every starting pitcher I ever go up against. And it became contagious, you know, and it's like, you want to go outlast the other guy. And, and, uh, and, but, you know, a lot of fun. Um, those guys were stars, yet humble enough to play as a team and pull a single rope where the goal every time was, you know, and the focus was win every game. You know, it's crazy. It was like, you know, a lot of teams talk about winning the series, win the series, win the series. We were always like, let's win the game. And 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 the focus was win every game. Now, obviously, you're not going to win every game, but that was the focus. And the fallback was win the series. So today you hear people say, I'm going to win the series. That was our fallback. We want like, let's sweep them. <laughs> like, let's win every game. Like today, let's win. When we show up tomorrow, we got to be here. Let's win. If we're in an extra inning game, no one's getting paid overtime. Might as well win. When you get to playoffs, hey, anybody getting paid their salaries? Nope. Well, if we got to be here, let's win. It was always let's win. And that was a pretty cool atmosphere to grow up in. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 95 go to to uh oakland brief stop play for tony Um, i'm assuming that's where that relationship formed you went on to cardinals you had some some great years for the cardinals 96 97 uh 98 and and you mentioned earlier because you got to cross paths yeah uh and and pitch against your dad in the other dugout you went to texas second half but i remember 98 i was i was with the reds and I tell kids today, and my son's in the minor leagues, and and he asked about, hey, what was what was Big Mac like? Yeah. I said, buddy, I said, you know how you never really go out before the game and watch the other team hit? You could really give a crap. You're worried about yourself getting yourself ready for the game. Yeah. I said, that was the first time in my career that I got out there early at the stadium in that 98 when it was Sammy and Mac. Yeah. You were there. You had a front row seat for at least half the season. Yeah. Uh, tell people what that was really like. Because I look at all the guys today. I look at Stanton. I look at Aaron Judge. I mean, these guys are behemoths. Yeah. They hit balls for miles. But I, yeah. I'll tell Aaron. I'll say, Aaron, I still don't think anyone's ever hit balls where Mac hits them. Yeah. He was one hand and stuff into the – and for the people that know Bush Stadium, the flags up in left field and BP. Yeah. yeah. I remember seeing him do that and making Ron Gant and and Lang for or uh, oh who's the left-handed hitter Langford yeah Langford they were hitting in the same group and these guys Mac was they look like little leaguers Went and I'm crazy, sitting right? and I'm sitting there thinking if I had to hit BP with Mac would it would it mentally scar me for the game but yeah. uh, you got to see it give me a little brief your your tenure well, in uh, I gotta say this about- yeah, about Mac. You know, I, I first became his teammate in 95 in Oakland, and then, you know, we traded for him and brought him over to St. Louis. And, and uh, you know, here's this guy. He's a quiet guy. Number First of all, he's a, he's a quiet guy. And and, uh, and he's a great – he's a great man and uh, just a great guy. But he became Elvis. 
if there was anyone that ever became Elvis in a sport, it was kind of like this guy became Elvis. It was like everyone wanted to watch this guy. And, and uh, listen, it was like, and, and you mentioned opposing players, like, let's just go watch this guy take BP and see where he can launch balls in the stadium, right? And what happened in 98 was they started on in the opposing stadium when we go on the road, they started to open the gates early just so people could go watch the circus circus. Yeah. And the circus. And 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 then poor Mark, he could never take a day off of BP because of the expectation of everyone. And then it even got even to a it even grew to a bigger circus where they also they would bring out when he would hit. He had special baseballs he would hit so that when the kids would get them, they could say Mark McGuire hit this out in batting. It became, it became, and, and through all of this in this circus, he stayed humble and he stayed true to himself. And it was crazy. I'm going to tell you how crazy it got in, in 98, he would say, Hey, stop, you want to go, you know, uh, you want to go grab dinner if we had a day game. It's like this and that or whatever. And he would say, and I say, yeah. And I said, and he would say, well, meet me at the service elevator. I go, the service elevator. He goes, yeah, go meet me at the service elevator. It got to a point where he had to have um, like bodyguards at hotels. It got that crazy. And he would have to use the service elevator to go into the parking garage underneath. They would have a car pick us up there and then pull out and no one would see McGuire come and go out of the stadium. I mean, it got to be to where it was like, but through all of this, he he was he never he never big leagued anybody in the clubhouse. He was never above them. He was just part of the group. He was still fun loving and and all of this. But you know, I got to tell you, I watched him. I watched him in '95 before this even happened, and I watched him where he was coming back. He was on the DL, and he was coming back from a little bit of a back injury, and they were soft tossing him on the field. And he was at home plate on one knee hitting balls in the upper deck in the Sky Dome off a of soft toss. So, I mean, think about it. Off of one knee. So he'd, he'd be on one knee because of his back, so he wasn't standing on both and twisting too much. And off of soft toss, he was just launching out of pure strength balls into the upper deck in the Sky Dome. And I remember watching that going – this is inhuman. Yeah. Like, how is this even possible? And then when I remember when we, and in, and in Arizona, uh, um, they would open up those, those big, I guess, windows or whatever. He hit one, he hit a ball completely out of the stadium and BP. And I'm like, this, this guy is like, he's not even, so it was, it was the craziest thing. And, 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 uh, you know, and you're right. It's like I almost felt bad sometimes because you'd watch Langford and Brian Jordan, you know, and they would hit, you know, and they got and they got big pop, yeah, for, for us normal mortals, right? And but you would see McGuire in, in the same batting practice hit balls out of the stadium a hundred feet further. It, it was by it the was way, a, it was a hundred feet further with no exaggeration. 
Right. And, and it's like, I'm not, you know, you know, how you, you got the long drive contest and, you know, you got those guys and they just, right. right. How cool would it be to really see how far could Mark McGuire truly hit a baseball? I, I, look, I don't know what the answer is. I would, just, but I would just think I would buy that ticket to go see how far I got a guy like Mark McGuire can hit a baseball because, but it, I mean, it was crazy. And, you know, baseball needed it at the time. Look, right. major baseball was, you know, after the last strike and then, you know, you cancel the series and in 94, you know, we were trying to make a comeback with the fans and this and that. And, and everyone put their arms around Sosa and McGuire, you know, and, and that whole chase. And, and it became, it became something special and it became really cool. And, and you're right to have a front row seat. And, you know, I always used to say to big, you know, big Mac, I said, you man, you need to be careful on deck because when he was on deck, he would no longer watch the pitcher and the hitter. He would kind of either look up or look down, close his eyes. And I would be like, dude, like <laughs> sooner or later, they're going to hit a foul ball over there. And you're such a big man. You're going to get hit or whatever. And he just was never worried about it. And I was like, well, what are you doing? He goes, look, I'm seeing myself like connect balls out front. Right. And, and he goes, I'm seeing myself have success. I'm seeing myself hit the ball and it land in the stadium. I'm seeing myself. And it was like, you know, to not only witness his greatness, but to learn from his greatness, to be able to steal just something small from him that I might be able to add to my game, to watch his preparation, to to see him go through this, and then to maintain um, the humility of who he was as a person, which is he was never the guy that was gravitating to try to get attention. He, he got the attention because of his greatness, because of his performance. It was awesome to watch. And, you know, you mentioned you played with him in 95. I played against him uh, 92, 93. I was with the Mariners, so I played the Oakland. And that's when it was the Bash brothers, and Mark and Canseco. And, and I remember back then, kill, he was a different man when he went to St. Louis in 98, it was just a, a more polished version of For just sure. that raw power. But Mac had gone to a different level. He was a, a big power guy in Oakland, you know, wasn't hitting for average. He became a great hitter in St. Louis. He was hitting, he was doing all this, but he's hitting 300. Yeah. He wasn't hitting 247. Right. He learned how to hit. Right. And as a result of being a better hitter, his power was even more impressive at that time, but he was two different guys. He always had the, the ridiculous power, but it was at a different level when he got to St. Louis. You know, people forget too. He hit 50 or more home runs three years in a row. Yeah. 50. So it wasn't like, Hey, I just did it one year. Right. I mean, the, the two previous years, he, he'd hit 50 something and 50 something prior to that year. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like, this buildup to chase that record. Right. And, and, and I would just, you know, like I say, he, I mean, he became Elvis, he became major league baseball because like you say, players, fans, others, every look, you go into other stadiums, everyone wanted to see him hit a home run. Everyone came early to watch him take batting practice. And then everyone wanted to see him hit a home run. It was crazy. After '98, you signed with uh, Arizona uh, for the last for the last uh, four years of your career. At in, after the 2000, you had you had elbow surgery. You didn't pitch in 2001, 
when the Diamondbacks won it all, won the World Series and Schilling, Schilling Johnson combo. Uh, you know, the, the unlike it, that's a bittersweet year for me because that was my Mariner team that won all those games. We were supposed to win and right. the Yankees eliminated us. But how much were you around that season, uh, the ball club? Yeah, every day. Um, yeah. You know, I was – uh, I was in the corner locker and to the right of me was Johnson and his lockers and to the left of me was Schilling and his lockers. And, and I got to tell you something, man, it was like, once again, it was like, I had the greatest seat in the, in the place. Cause I get to see everything that goes on in the inside of the clubhouse and everything that's going on in the dugout and then a front row seat to everything that's going out on the, on the field to watch those two guys that year was like just you know unbelievable and and they had this and i don't even know if they'll admit it but they, it was almost like you know one of them would go throw a shutout and it was like you know give up five hits and the other one was was going to throw a shutout and wanted to give up four hits and they had this this thing about them but uh you know, I mean, what a what a one-two punch. I guess you could probably put it up there in history just about with anyone, the, the way they competed that year, and I wouldn't even know how to look at it. But, uh, um, you know, it, it was I, – I, I, re, I remember I remember thinking to myself, it's like – and it was – and it was – and I put myself in a in a – mentally in a different place because I knew I wasn't going to play that year. That year was off, and, and – uh, and of course, that's the year they win. I think that if I wouldn't have played on world championships in Toronto, that would have been hard to swallow to not be able to perform and be a part of it. Right. Um, so what I did in turn is I just found a way that year. Bobby Welch was our pitching coach and and Welch, would always say, hey, Stott, I need your help. I need your help. I need your help, you know. And and a lot of times he would go talk to someone and he'd walk away and he'd come get me. He said, hey, man. Uh, see if you can go translate what I just said to him. <laughs> and, you yeah. know, we, we would, you know, I'm like, I understand, Welty. But, you know, so I got to, you know, I got to like Bob Melvin was was the bench coach and 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 Melvin would be like, hey, man, let's see if we can pick this guy up. You know, the manager giving signs over there. So it was always trying to find. And then I got to work with Young Young Kim a little bit and tried to, you know, tried to help him along. So I was trying to be helpful, stay out of the way, but at the same time in respect, but at the same time had the greatest seed. And, and, you know, after, you know, 99, you know, I tear my labrum bicep tendon away from uh, pulls away um, uh, from my shoulder and, and that whole deal. And then take three months off, come back, pitch in the playoffs in 99. And, and then, and then in 2000, you know, I show up for my first game and, and I go eight innings and after the game, my elbows on fire. And, and I'm like, well, I don't, it's, I go and I, and I remember telling him, I go, it's, it's, it's like, it's burning. And they go, well, let's have the doctor take a look at it. And my ulnar nerve had subluxed. And he goes, dude, you need surgery. I go, bro, I can't get surgery because I had built up to, to protect my labrum. I had a hole in my rotator cuff. I tore my labrum and my bicep tendon away from the bone in 99 came back to pitch after three months. I go, I can't give it up. I'll never make a, I'll never come back. If I, if I let all these gains and everything go, because I built up so much around it just to protect it, kind of redid my mechanics. I did, I kind of went through this whole thing over, 
over three months to get back to the big leagues and and then to pitch in the playoffs. And then, so then it was like, you know, and I wasn't pitching well, which is funny, but in April, May, I was eight and one. I got an elbow ulnar nerve sublex. I got a hole in my cuff, torn labrum, bicep tendons torn from the bone. And I'm having the best win loss I've ever had <laughs> first two months. Now, I think I probably had a five and a half earning. I think the team felt so bad for me. They would just score runs every time I would pitch. And then it got to a point where, you know, it, it was almost like the team would bet, will he make it out of the bullpen today? And and uh, and then I finally got to a point where it was like, man, I was out there making stuff up. I was like, what can I throw that doesn't hurt so much? And, and, uh, and then what happened is I, I got to a point where it was like, I just couldn't take it. So I went on the DL for a while and then tried to come back at the end again. And then crazy enough, in, in 2001, I showed up for spring training and I throw three innings against the Giants lights out. And it's so funny because uh, um, uh, Brindley, his quote was Stottlemyre's back. So that was the headlines in Arizona. And I throw three, three innings, no hit innings against the Giants in spring training. Well, I go to um, two days later. I go to go through my stretching and I'm going to go do a bullpen workout. And all of a sudden we go to play catch and I'm standing there with Mike Morgan of all people. And the Mo man, me and Mo man were like, we were, you know, play, we were team, we were buddies. We did all the throwing together and everything else. And, 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 and I take the ball out of my glove, but I can't raise my arm and it's no, I'm not having any pain, but my arm literally, I can't raise my arm. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? And and then I kind of like muster enough mental deal to where it's like I'm going to get it up and I threw it and I threw it up like about 10 feet away straight into the ground. And then Mo goes and gets it and he, you know, he fires a cutter or sinker back at me, you know, and and then I go to throw again and I'm like, I can't raise my right arm. And I call the trainer over. I say, hey, man, I can't raise my right arm. I go. It's like someone's got a voodoo doll of me. It's almost like my arms paralyzed. And he's like, oh, no. And, and he goes, I'm going to call Zeman in, in Phoenix. He goes, I said, well, see if you can get me in. I said, I'm going to go shower and drive to Phoenix. So I drive up to Phoenix and I walk into David Zeman's office, who's done all my surgeries or, or after he, he'd been part of this whole process with me. And and I say, and, and he picks my arms up, right? And then he lets go and this one just flops down the right arm. And I'm like... And so they take me to then go get a nerve test. My long thoracic nerve from my neck down through my shoulder blade that wraps around. So the longest nerve in our body went completely dead. And the answer was hole and rotator cuff, torn labrum, bicep tendon torn away from the bone, ulnar nervous sublex. Your body finally said, you're not going to listen to me. Then the nerve starts shutting down and the nerve shut down and and uh, so I say, well, what's next? They say, well, it could it could regenerate in three days, three weeks, three months, three years, 30 years or whatever. We don't know when. And I'm like, well, I don't have like three years. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I and and so we decided uh, we just, you know, we give it a month and then see where I'm at and then give it another month. And then I got to the all star break. I go, this is stupid. I'm like. And I still can't raise my right arm and I and I can't throw. And I'm like, well, if that so we get together with all the doctors and I said, well, if the nerve 
is dead because everything is torn in my body and I'm not listening to it. Let's fix everything. Now, I knew this was a taking a chance. I said, let's fix everything because if I fix everything, maybe my nerve will regenerate. So we fix my shoulder, we fix my elbow, we do all the things. And, uh, and it kind of, it started to regenerate. I never got back to a full form, but enough where I could raise my right arm and try to throw. The problem was, um, you know, once we did all the surgeries, they didn't expect me to ever be able to pitch at that level again. And, and every time I would get close through minor league rehab starts, something would break and I'd be back at the table. I'd, from bone spurs, taking them out of my elbow and a week later, go back to the mound to, to this and that. And then I finally decided, I said, look, I'm not going to be able to start. Maybe I can help you guys in the bullpen. So I did like six or seven times in, in the minor leagues coming in out of the bullpen, throw one inning, maybe I'd be a setup guy. And I'm one pitch away from joining the team. And, and, uh, in 2002, and and I got two outs. I got two strikes on the guy, and I'm found to unleash a fastball, and I throw it like 30 feet up on the screen, and everything in my shoulder, my back, everything explodes, and I'm like, holy shit, I'm done. This is it. And they came out, and and I was like, I'm like, man, I go every everything was in pain, and I go explosion, and I walked off a minor league field and a rehab deal. And I thought, holy shit, I'm done. And my last outing was in a minor league rehab. I was so bitter because of it at the time. And I remember I went to Colangelo last game of 02. I said, bro, can I pinch hit? Can I do something? I, I need to walk off a major league field. And he goes, mm-mm. He goes, he goes, because if I activate you <laughs> to hit, then that insurance claim that we're collecting on is null and void. And he goes, that one in bat's worth $8 million. <laughs> He goes, you want to take the insurance claim? I'll give you your bat. I was like, eh, I don't know if it's worth $8 million, so I'll go ahead and move on. <laughs> yep. Well, that is awesome. Uh, Todd, I appreciate you coming on the program. A lot of – man – you go down memory lane, you, you've been so many historic places and, and awesome places, teammates and world championships and, and the family stories. You know, I'm sure we could talk for hours and hours about that. But I really appreciate coming on. Great career, uh, almost 1,600 punch outs, 138 wins. You know, we, we covered pretty thoroughly the the three World Series rings. And uh, I, I brings me back to, to when I was first coming to the game, watching you guys up in Toronto have all that fun. And, you know, when, you, when you're young, you look at things that affect you and you think, wow, one day maybe I could do that. And, yeah. and I remember that. So that, this was a lot of fun for me. Remember, say it for me. What is, is it? Quibito or Quibito? Coy Beto, your Keystone Advisors. Yeah, man. Keystone Advisors. I'm watching on social media. You're always yeah. you're, you're you're busy, man, doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. But uh, I appreciate your time, man. It was a man, lot of fun. Let me tell you something, Booney. I I uh, I was thrilled, humbled when you reached out. I've always respected the way you played the game. Um, you know, I love how you know you were coming to get it done every day, and and uh, you know we kind of share that thread together and course we share a lot of threads with family and family history but 
I've always, I always had a tremendous amount of respect for you. I loved competing against you. Well, I would say I loved competing against the competitor in you. It wasn't always fun, but uh, hey, man, I, I appreciate it. I love what you're doing, and uh, keep keep up the great work. And and I'll see. Hopefully, I'll see you, and we'll pass. Uh, we'll have a beer together sometime. You got it. Thanks, Todd. And for all of you out there watching the Boone Podcast, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Subscribe. Let me know what you think. We always love the feedback. Till next time, we'll see you there.